Deshaun Sadavia is going to come on, who created the app, and tell you more about all of its features. But that was um, super impressive to me, right, to sort of see this quote-unquote third world country. And I say quote-unquote because we know that's a demeaning term, um, but the way in which you know, this country has come up with um, using its ingenuity and black excellence has come up with a way to manage this pandemic. Um, so after we downloaded the app and sort of were given instructions on how to use it, we then advanced to the testing um, and we were tested on site at the airport with both a nasal swab as well as a oral swab. Um, and again, our test results were given to us in 48 hours. Because we, um, my partner and I, were actually leaving the resilient corridor and moving further into the population, we're on the south side of the island where Kingston is, we're actually required to quarantine for a full two weeks. Um, what I've also seen here in Jamaica is the consistent use of masks. <laughs> Everybody has a mask, y'all. Everybody has a mask. The squeegee guy at the corner, the mango dude, um, everyone that you see has a mask and is wearing a mask. Another thing that I have seen is temperature checks everywhere. So if you've ever been here to Kingston, there are definitely some stores where in order to get into the parking lot, you have to pass a guard and um, they let you into the parking lot. Those guards are now taking temperatures. Um, and before you go into a store, your temperature is taken again and your hands are sanitized. So just experiencing this while I've been here, I am allowed to leave once a day to get groceries or to work out. So I've had those experiences um, and it's just been a stark contrast. It's so, so hard to witness this and then see the news reports back home. Hey you, this is Takima and welcome to Converge for Change, the business of social justice podcast. Each week we discuss what's really happening on the front lines for racial, social, and economic justice and highlight the amazing grassroots leaders across our communities doing the deep work of freedom. But don't get it twisted, we keep the conversation all the way real. Whether you're a fellow justice warrior or looking to better understand what's happening behind the veil, we unpack it here. Who am I, you ask? I'm the owner of Converge, a social justice consulting firm whose purpose is to accelerate the creation of a radically just new world. I'm Catherine's granddaughter, a mother of two boys, your East Coast round-the-way homegirl, and a proud Howard University graduate. Most importantly, I'm a Black woman, a leader in my community, and justice is my legacy. So let's get in this. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Converge for Change, the business of social justice. Really excited to have you here. Glad you've been tuning in to hear our previous shows on COVID-19 and criminal legal reform. It was wonderful to have Sarita Stive and Dolphinette Martin with us from Operation Restoration. And I hope you caught those takeaways. We talked a lot about women and reentry. We also talked about their new venture with Hope House NOLA, The Closet. Um, and I really hope you all find a way to support this organization. We also talked a little bit about Black women and what it means to be a Black woman in this work um, and really show up to support each other as opposed to competing, you know, and I hope that inspires you all who are listening to really think about the ways in which we can support Black women's leadership moving forward. It was also really interesting to hear the new development in the George Floyd case with Thomas Lane, um, the fired rookie cop who was bailed out because of a crowdfunding site um, who posted bail June 10th, 2020, thanks in part um, to uh, a lot of the work that's been done around bell reform. So really interesting. Thank you again for tuning in. If you missed the episode, you can always find it at www.convergeforchange.com backslash podcast or catch us on all podcast platforms. All right, y'all. So let's get into this week's episode. Today, I come to you from my second home in Jamaica. I am currently in Kingston, the capital of Jamaica. I am here with uh, my partner, aka Bay, who is Jamaican. We got here Saturday, June 20th. 
And if you follow me on social media, which I hope you do, Instagram and Facebook at I am Takima, you may have saw a video that I posted and uh, that has since gone viral. There has now been over 2 million views. Our, our video was posted by prime minister here in Jamaica, viewed in parliament, and has really been the talk of the Caribbean. I recorded this video just with the intention of like sharing with friends and family, our experience traveling here to Jamaica and the stark contrast uh, with what I experienced traveling across the United States to uh, bring my boys to my mom's house in uh, Florida and then traveling from MSY to Miami here to Jamaica. So we're going to talk about the video in a second, but I am actually in quarantine, but don't get nervous. I am not COVID positive. And I know that because upon arrival here in Jamaica, I was tested. My test results were given to me in 48 hours, but because of what they have put in place, which is extremely impressive, y'all, um, I am still required to quarantine for 14 days. So this really gets me into what I want to talk about. I am sitting here um, in this beautiful country, um, better known to me and my family as Wakanda. And um, I am watching the news reports from back home. Um, I'm sure all of you all have seen the headlines that we are um, on our way to another resurgence of COVID across the United States, not that it ever went away. And so it's been really hard and painful. And honestly, I have been enraged more than normal, <laughs> um, you know, because as, uh, as it's said, to be Black in America means to be constant state of rage as James Baldwin reminds us. Um, but it's been really, really hard to sit here um, and experience what I believe to be a model for managing a pandemic from pre-approvals going uh, to get into the country to the protocols that we experienced as soon as we got off the plane, temperature checks, sanitation, social distancing inside the airport, none of which um, were experienced as we traveled through the U.S. Um, but then all also an amazing cross-sector, cross-system approach to managing this pandemic, um, which is underwritten and underscored by uh, a use of technology to manage the pandemic. So um, I want to talk with you all a little bit about that. We'll get into that in the episode. All right. So the first thing I want to do is just share with folks my experience traveling here. Again, like I said, we started in MSY. Um, we had to transfer in Miami and then flew into Montego Bay. Again, as we uh, left the plane, we were directed to wear face coverings. After that, we were actually ha we actually had our temperature taken, and then from there, we had to check in with nurses who were there on behalf of the Ministry of Health and Wellness, and they were doing a health assessment as well as deciding what type of quarantine would be required. We were also informed at that point that we would be receiving a COVID test before we left the airport. And so throughout the process, we are sanitized consistently as we advance through the various checkpoints within the airport. So we went through immigration, um, again, sanitized. We then entered another space where uh, we were able to get our bags. We then were able to go through customs. And right around that point is when they we went to a station that introduced an app. And so what I'm super excited about today is we actually have the app developer with us who's going to come on and share with you all the vision behind the app and the dynamics behind it and how it works, how it was designed by a Jamaican company that is, is now been white labeled for other companies across the world. So anyway, this app is called Jam COVID-19. You can find it in the app store if you just want to check it out. But this app is where all of our information is stored. This app also allows you to um, find a testing site and make an appointment within the platform if you need. But this app is also what is allowing the country to open its borders to tourism. The app geofences you based on uh, one, your risk profile, but then also where you're going to be located inside the country. So you may have heard Jamaica opened itself back up to flights on June 1st and is bringing sort of tourism on 
line, as that is one of the primary economies in this country. And so what they've created is what they called a resilient corridor. This corridor stretches from, if you know the island, Negril to Portland, which is really the north side of the island where most of the resorts are located. Resorts are only allowed to open after they've passed a health inspection and are approved by the government to reopen. But tourists are confined to that area and those folks who are going to be in that space are geo-tracked inside of the resilient corridor by the app. The app also requires you to check in throughout your stay by uploading, you know, videos. You are also given a code every time at random times to upload a video. It has voice and face recognition inside the app. And again, our friend Deshaun Sadavia is going to come on who created the app and tell you more about all of its features. But that was super impressive to me, right? To sort of see this quote unquote third world country. And I say quote unquote, because we know that's a demeaning term, but the way in which this country has come up with using its ingenuity and black excellence has come up with a way to manage this pandemic. So after we downloaded the app and sort of were given instructions on how to use it, we then advanced to the testing and we were tested on site at the airport with both a nasal swab as well as a oral swab. Um, and again, our test results were given to us in 48 hours. Because we, um, my partner and I, were actually leaving the resilient corridor and moving further into the population, we're on the south side of the island where Kingston is, we are actually required to quarantine for a full two weeks. What I've also seen here in Jamaica is the consistent use of masks. <laughs> Everybody has a mask, y'all. Everybody has a mask. The squeegee guy at the corner, the mango dude, everyone that you see has a mask and is wearing a mask. Another thing that I have seen is temperature checks everywhere. So if you've ever been here to Kingston, there are definitely some stores where in order to get into the parking lot, you have to pass a guard and um, they let you into the parking lot. Those guards are now taking temperature. And before you go into a store, your temperature is taken again and your hands are sanitized. So just experiencing this while I've been here, I am allowed to leave once a day to get groceries or to work out. So I've had those experiences and it's just been a stark contrast and so, so hard to witness this and then see the news reports back home. The punchline, y'all, is that Jamaica has recorded 10 COVID deaths. So let's put that in context. This is an island of 3 million people that has had 10 deaths. New Orleans, 400,000 people, 534 COVID-related deaths. So I just really want y'all to sit with that. I think it's so interesting to step outside the U.S. and kind of put everything into perspective and to just see and know and experience that leadership, that one is centering people whose first priority is saving lives. And then to see the protocols and the criteria and the ingenuity that is being brought to bear in order for that to happen. I really hope that you all get a chance to stick in here with us throughout the hour to, to hear more from the app developer who has designed the amazing technology that is the backbone for Jamaica's COVID response. And so really wanted to share that with you all. And again, looking forward to um, continuing conversation of possibly about how some of these best practices and how this technology could possibly aid the U.S. in ongoing management of, of COVID-19. All right, y'all. So let's get into this. Today, my guest is Deshant Savadia, founder and CEO of the Amber Group Limited. Deshant is an internationally acclaimed global entrepreneur, eminent humanitarian, public speaker, and a technology disruptor, driven by a vision to give back. From ideation to products, he quickly transforms them into successful global ventures. His passion for constant innovation has ensured that his various enterprises are always placed in the forefront of cutting edge technology. 
He was born in India and for the past seven years has very proudly made Jamaica his home. Deshant's insatiable passion for Jamaica and technology has made him vow to make Jamaica the proud hub of the Amber Group. Deshant extensively traveled throughout the Caribbean, personally teaching the art of living stress management workshops in some of the most dangerous prisons, inner cities, the youth at risk, and conducting several social intervention programs to reduce crime and violence in society. Early in 2015, he realized the need of a consistent funding mechanism to support his charitable passion and hence started creating innovative companies to support this cause. All these companies and their successes are largely attributed to Deshaun's keen sense of entrepreneurism and his unstoppable passion to make his companies a formidable player in the global tech arena. Yet the core to champion the charitable cause and give back to society through his humanitarian work under the Art of Living Foundation. I had the privilege to sit and talk with Deshaun since I've been in Jamaica, and I'm really excited for you all to hear the amazing work that he's doing with the Amber Group. Thank you, Deshaun, for joining us here on the Converge for Social Justice podcast. How are you? I'm well, and how are you? I'm awesome. I'm so excited to, to talk to you and share the amazing work that you're doing in Jamaica. But before we jump into that, because I think it's so important that folks really get a chance to know the folks behind the interview, will you start by just sharing a little bit of who you are? We've heard about your accolades and your professional bio, but maybe you can talk a little bit more about you and your life and the things that have informed it. And if you can, maybe add one thing most folks wouldn't know about you. So um, let me start by saying, first of all, thank you for inviting me on your show. Um, it's quite a pleasure. I am Dushan Savadia. I was born in India. Um, so when I was um, uh, 17, 19, my parents kicked me out of the house because I was a drug addict, alcoholic, and I used to smoke almost 60 to 70 cigarettes a day. One night, my father just gave up. He realized there is no more hope. Um, and he just, um, you know, kicked, kicked me out of the house at midnight. And I took a train. I used to live in East, East of India. And I went to Delhi, which is the capital. And I started my career as a waiter in a restaurant. And then I moved worked my way up, became a call center executive. And then I went into some other better jobs and eventually landed up uh, working with Xerox products in uh, 1999. And I had quite a successful career there. But um, uh, while I was working, my employers made it mandatory for us to take this out of living workshop, which actually transformed my life. Um, five day of breathing, meditation, understanding of human life, understanding how our negative emotions impact our health, impact our uh, uh, lives, relationships, our behavior, um, and, and just the general understanding of human values uh, completely changed the view of my life. And uh, I decided to pursue the Art of Living Foundation uh, uh, a bit more. Uh, it's one of the largest nonprofit organization in the world. They operate in 160 countries around the world, uh, uh, spreading the message of love and peace. Um, and uh, I pursued for, for, for the training. I became an art of living instructor myself in 1999 itself. Um, and um, a year later, I gave up some very lucrative jobs to uh, serve the society, serve the world as a humanitarian, fulfilling um, uh, my call, I would say, to serve as best as I could. And um, uh, since 1999, I traveled quite a lot. Um, I've done lots and lots of countries around the world. I moved around a lot. I lived in the UK for 10 years as well. Um, and, and with all of that exposure and all of those travel and teaching communities and uh, vulnerable people. I taught uh, hundreds and hundreds of inmates in the prisons and, and, and just, just seeing this diverse amount of uh, people wanting to uh, get to that point to understand what peace is was quite fascinating. Um, early 2011, my foundation, I was working for Art of Living Foundation full-time. 
uh, as a, a volunteer. My foundation actually sent me to the Caribbean because we had no presence this side whatsoever. And when I was brought this side to me, it was, okay, brand new region. I have uh, not much of help this side, um, but over a span of three years, I started quite a few countries for the foundation, taught hundreds and thousands of people uh, how to breathe, how to meditate, how to be, how to live a stress-free and a violence-free life. Um, and, and teaching all of these uh, uh, workshops across the Caribbean, right, from prisons to um, inner city com communities to high-flying corporate executives, government employees, um, and, and kind of I touched almost every facet, schools, universities. Um, I had a very strong base to pursue because uh, stress has so many effects on our society. And until and unless we don't deal with that root cause, which brings aggression, which brings non-compassion, there's, there's very little way to make the world move forward. Instilling human values has to become our number one priority as a world. And uh, early 2012, I was in Jamaica, uh, something happened here. I just fell in love with this land. I decided <laughs> to make this my home. Uh, from 2012 to 2015, I served uh, hundreds and thousands of people. I taught nearly 3,000 inmates in wow. the prison, transformed them through the Art of Living's Prison Smart program. Smart stands for Stress Management and Rehabilitation Training Program. And it was very effective. And you could see how the inmates would say, Oh man, after so many years, I could sleep peacefully. And my pain in the body is reduced and I don't feel aggressive. I don't feel like beating up people around me. So, so creating that kind of an impact in the society, early 2015, as most uh, charitable foundation struggle is money. Um, and at that point, early 2015, I ran out of funding and as the director of the Art of Living Foundation in the Caribbean and Art of Living is pretty huge in the US as well, massive. Um, and being the director of the region, it was my responsibility to ensure we have adequate funding to continue the charitable projects that we had in place. Um, early 2015, when I ran out of funding, I decided, okay, you know what? Um, going to uh, uh, companies and corporates for sponsorships and so on is not going to be sustainable. Um, and I decided to build some businesses to actually um, provide me the sustainable income source so that I continue to serve very passionately our society and humanity at large. And since 2015, we started our first company called Amber Connect, um, which became quite, quite uh, well established in five years. Then we started Amber Innovations, which is our software development arm. We started Amber Fuels, which is a technology built for fuel stations. Uh, we work with uh, Texaco very closely here in Jamaica and in uh, other Caribbean region. Uh, and we kind of, as a company, we knew the more we diversify, the more technology products we create, all of these technology products are created around keeping consumer first. How do we give to the consumers more peace of mind, more security, more savings, more ease? And, and behind everything we've done so far, it's all about doing good through technology and also the profits we make. How do we reutilize those profits in enhancing the uh, 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 value of uh, 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 those who, who, who need jobs, those who need uh, care, those who need funding to achieve their life goals or even basic necessities. So the entire uh, uh, Amber Group was formed on the basis of doing good. And of course, when the pandemic started four months ago, we were already looking, okay, we are a large technology company. Uh, we have over 200 software developers in-house. How do we assist? How do we contribute? What can we do? Um, so in that, that thought process, of course, if, if you are a, a, a company, you would first want to choose your own products. How can you uh, make that pro product more accessible, more cheaper? So during the pandemic, more people have, can have access to it. But we have to think way beyond that. It's not just about 
what we can do, which is in our purview and our comfort, but yes. what we, it's almost like if your house is on fire, you don't think how many cans of uh, water you're going to use. You just throw everything you've got. <laughs> All right. So this is great. This is really helpful. And I, I love the slogan, more than a business, we built an organization to serve humanity. And I have been so impressed thus far with learning more about the Amber Group. And today's conversation, we really want to lift up the contribution you've made here in Jamaica to the country in response to COVID. 19. So the video that um, my fiance and I did, which we did on a whim to inform our family and friends about uh, the experience we had leaving the U.S., coming here to Jamaica, having no idea what to expect, and then stepping into a process that was night and day from what we had experienced back in the U.S., right? And what we experience as we go through that in the video is a very, a very uh, human-centered process, right? Like, from the care in which people took to make sure we were comfortable going through the process to the way in which, you know, the various agencies in um, Jamaica are clearly coordinating um, to make sure folks have information as well as are screened coming into the to the country, which we unpack in the in the video. And then the highlight for me was this amazing app. So Jam COVID-19. Um, I've been trying to share this information with anybody um, who will listen to me because the other interesting thing is we're having this experience at the same time that we're seeing a spike in COVID-19 cases in the U.S., right? So I step out the U.S., I'm having this experience Jamaica has had 10 COVID deaths. I'm seeing the, you know, high compliance with wearing face coverings. I'm seeing and experiencing the coordination and the screening, extensive screening process. I'm having this conversation with you while I am quarantined for my first two weeks. Thank you, <laughs> But no, like you are seeing um, this country come together and bring the best of itself to make sure Jamaicans are safe first and foremost, and then that the country can then open itself to tourism and tourists are also safe. So I really want to have you walk us through um, the Jam COVID-19 app. Can you talk a little bit about how it came to be, how you came to be in conversations with the government, um, and what the process was like of producing this amazing tool you've gifted the world? Sure, thank you. Um, so like I was saying um, earlier, for me and my team, um, it was almost like, okay, we are in the pandemic. We are a technology company. How can we contribute? Um, so first thing we did is we actually built a website ourselves with the analytics that you see right now. If you go to uh, jamcovid19.moh.gov.jm, that is the government website of Jamaica right now. So that, that was the first module that we actually built to give people some analytics, some real-time analytics of what is happening in the country. And of course, at the same time, if you are sick, it, then most people don't know what to do. So we built a self-reporting, self-assessment tool there where you can go in, book an appointment. Uh, if you feel symptomatic, you actually say what symptoms you've got and illnesses you have and uh, on a risk scoring mechanism in the back end, it will immediately prompt you whether you need an appointment and get tested or not. If you are a high risk through the scoring, it would immediately lead you to a booking appointment system where you, will, you can choose the closest clinic and choose a time slot available in the clinic and show up for your appointment for COVID-19 test. So, that was the first idea. We built it first, and then I presented it to a very good friend of mine, Minister uh, Kamina Johnson-Smith. I said, uh, Minister Johnson-Smith, this is the application. Uh, I would love for this to be donated to the government so that we can help the government to manage this pandemic better. And she quickly arranged a Zoom call with the Prime Minister, uh, most on honorable Andrew Holness, 
And uh, when the Prime Minister and I had a Zoom call, I could clearly see that he had so much more in his mind as a vision that uh, uh, it was almost like two minds had to come together with the vision and tech to fight the pandemic. And Prime Minister Andrew Holness gave me a series of, uh, 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 you know, tasks to do straight away. He said, Tushan, this is what we need. If, can we do this? Can we do that? And he pretty much visualized what needed to be in that two hour call. And from that, I just kept on writing notes as fast as, as I could. And then a few days later, in fact, three days later, we pretty much built uh, a lot of things. So the first module that got publicly released was, was that self-reporting tool with the appointment booking, and then it morphed into an in immigration system uh, whereby we knew the biggest risk to any countries is also the migration. When people move cross borders, when people move cross countries, we don't know who's coming, what is their history, and how do we protect our nation from people coming from abroad and may or may not have uh, the virus. So one of the things we immediately built was a pre-screening uh, 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 application system where you would apply, where you would give your personal details, you would give your medical health conditions at the moment, if you are symptomatic or not, and also um, give us uh, details about uh, your arrival, what date you want to arrive, etc., etc. So the first leg of everything we did was managing to return our stranded residents abroad. Um, there were a lot of Jamaicans who were abroad in, in uh, hardship situations who had to be uh, flown in through repatriation flights. Um, and that was the first focus. So of course we have, uh, we, we have close to 22,000 uh, applicants who wanted to come home, but how do we manage that flow of people while making sure that we do not overburden and overstress the island's medical health infrastructure who can only accommodate X amount of people in quarantine on arrival. So all of this had to be managed by the technology itself. So we built a whole approval process system that you would get actually an authorization certificate. You would get a travel authorization certificate, which also in the background was worked with whether you are a resident or not, whether you are uh, have, you're having no symptoms right now or not. So a lot of those assessments were done in the background and approvals were given. And all these stranded citizens of Jamaica were prioritized to come home versus tourists and others who would want to come home to see family or friends and relatives or go to a hotel and stuff like that. So we had to be, we had to navigate this very carefully. Yeah. While we had to bring in thousands of people at the same time, the technology had to adapt very quickly to ensure that while we bring all our stranded citizens from abroad, we do not overburden the health system to collapse and not being able to manage this flow of uh, Arrival. So the whole immigration module did a brilliant job for the country and for those who were coming in. Further to that, then we uh, uh, morphed that into, okay, once you're here, um, and then we had to quickly scale up to bring more citizens home because many of them had lost jobs and were on streets or not having food and running out of money, medications. So a point came where we really had to kind of think, okay, now we have to open it up faster. And uh, on, on and of course, uh, the prime, prime minister and my team, myself, we had quite a lot of calls with other various ministers to actually plan the implementation of technology to streamline all of these executions for arrivals and home quarantines also. And then a point came where we said, okay, we need to start switching on more flights to arrive because now it's getting to a de desperate point. Uh, we are under pressure. How do we manage? Okay, we said, let's build a phone-based tracking system first, which means as soon as folks arrive, they have to download the app at the airport. They have their immigration case ID already through which they've 
arrive through that application process. And then once they reach home, we geofence them to their home location. And then if now the, the beauty is also many people ask, but what about privacy? You're tracking and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I said, you know, world has changed so much that there are better ways to do without invading the privacy of any persons. So the way we designed the architecture and bear in mind, this was all done in just four days time. <laughs> this is incredible, incredible. Executed in four, built and executed and launched in four days time. So what we had to do is think through how we safeguard people's privacy at the same time, attain the objective of the government and as a nation yes. that nobody breaches the quarantine which can put the entire nation at risk and all the hard work and, and the success this government has had uh, uh, in comparison to everywhere else right now, that had to be managed and, and strengthened. So right. the way we design the whole system is pretty much that we're not tracking you. We're not collecting your location information every five minutes or 30 minutes. All we're doing is from the servers, we send a ping to that phone app and say, are you where you're supposed to be? If the answer is yes, there is nothing collected from the phone at all. Everything is locally managed on the phone, which is your own property. So we're not taking any in information from the phone, but when the phone pings, uh, when the phone is pinged and the location of where you are now is not the same location what we have stored on your phone in your app that you're supposed to be at, only then it updates the location data to us. Saying, okay, you get this a big alarm. <laughs> on my end, I got a big alarm when I was traveling from Montego Bay to, to Kingston, right? Um, so I want to make sure that we also, you also share with us some of the amazing features. I'm going to definitely do another video trying to show folks on the consumer end, but can you talk about a few other features that are now inside of the app, like the videos and um, the, you know, the temperature checks and other features that you guys packed inside the app? Sure. So, so there are so many different layers built. So the whole quarantine part. So one part was the tracking part. Then we understood, of course, people might leave their phone at home and go out. So how, how do you manage that risk? So this immediate second step, which was built at the same time in those four days, was also that uh, uh, we planned it in such a way that the app actually sends based on the configuration we choose on the back end for Jamaica at the moment, six times a day at random times, the app would give you a notification to do a video check-in. So you go to the check-in section of the app. It asks you whether you are feeling well, do you have symptoms or not? You say no. It gives you a temperature uh, option. So you choose uh, or you put in what your current uh, temperature is, and then you do a video log straight away, reading out a four digit code. Now, because it comes randomly, you will never know when it is going to come, okay. right? So you would want to be at home at all times because when that video uh, check-in notification comes in and you do not upload the video in 15 minutes, then we have to be concerned straight away. And the command center, the police force, command center would immediately call you and we at that moment also know if you're not in the location that you're supposed to be. If both of them matches that you're not uploading your video and your phone is not in the location where you're supposed to be or your phone is in your location where you're supposed to be but you did not do the video upload, the police force will still call you and ask you to do a video upload straight away. And if you do not do that video upload, then we have a problem, you're in breach of the uh, consent that you've given. And at the same time, if you do do your video upload and the phone tells us you're in a different location, then we have another right. problem as well. So there are layers and layers. And then we re realized for certain high risk, we also built some uh, uh, physical tracking bracelets, wearable bracelets, which are independent of a phone. So you don't really need a phone's Bluetooth or a phone's uh, mobile network to actually uh, uh, give us the location information of where you are, should you breach your 
quarantine location so the phone by itself so that was another layer um on top of that there is an so it's it's more like you to think it through like a whole pandemic ecosystem uh built around the whole management of it so from the time you want to arrive into the country you have your application process with a qr code given to you for your application you must show your travel authorization certificate at the check in desk of your airport where you're boarding from from abroad if you do not show that um uh, uh, travel authorization no airline will board you one mm-hmm. then as you arrive at the airport we built the uh, tablet based software that allows the nurses to do a physical observation also where the nurse would simply scan your qr code of your uh, authorization certificate it loads up your details then they will phys- physically check your temperature check your symptoms and if you do fall into high risk then they will get you to sign a different consent which would be isolation if you have symptoms for example then we need to take you to the state quarantine facility straight away now if that happens the nurse would on the tablet would choose what type of quarantine is suitable or home uh, quarantine or state quarantine or what kind of order is applicable to you based on resident or tourist etc and then what that does pretty much is is gives the nurses the ability to do everything digitally at the airport cutting down the queuing time and then once you are at home you are followed through with the um, mobile app which is used for ensuring that that your basic health data is reaching the health officials on a daily basis so we are observing you remotely making sure you're healthy and well and you're not symptomatic and then based on the fact that 14 days have passed you've not had high temperature in your video logs you've not had any symptoms then an automatic release of the quarantine is also provided so i mean there are just so many layers after each other so the back end is massive also for tourists we built a whole automated uh, uh, approval system for a- applications also so as soon as you apply and if the risk scoring algorithm in the back end detect that no all is good you get an instant approval for your application and if there is a concern then it goes into a manual review and uh, immigration and health would manually review that application to approve or deny so it's 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 a lot in four weeks no sorry in eight weeks there are 17 different modules i've not even touched the amount of operational analytics that the government has to understand to mobilize doctors and nurses in various parts of the country so based on where people are getting home quarantined and the density of population where they are in terms of the uh, uh, folks who have traveled in the entire health management system is using that analytics to understand how to manage uh, uh, the operations of the health department so i mean we can go on and on it's it's going no, to take it is so impressive i mean oh, i am absolutely impressed and i know we only have you for a short period of time so i do want to ask this last question which what is your highest hope for for this app i know you've gone on to implement this with other countries what's your highest hope for for this gift that you've given us my highest hope would be god bless us all Yes. um let there be health peace and uh, hopefully the economical situation of our country and countries where we are deploying this solution is is fast tracked because of the implementation of such uh, a robust technology well i can't describe a better exemplar for what it means to have technology serve humanity Um so I thank you so much for spending this time and sharing um who you are through you know this time with me but then also sharing this gift with the world it is an incredible tool I am beyond impressed um even as someone who is in quarantine um I appreciate all that this country is doing um including your contribution to keep 
Jamaican safe, but also to model for the world what it can look like to manage this pandemic that we know is not going away tomorrow. Um, I am highly impressed, highly impressed, and wanted to make sure we uh, use this platform, this little itty bitty platform that I have um, to try and share this with as many people um, that will listen. So Deshaun, this is the beginning of our friendship. When I get out of quarantine, I'm coming over to visit you. And I, I truly, truly thank you from the bottom of my heart for who you are um, and for this work that you've done. Thank you so, so much for, for being on the show. Only a pleasure and please keep well. And I look forward to seeing you in my office soon too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, you take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back, Warriors. By now, you know we have a few rules on the show. Number one, we keep it real. Number two, you've got to be an active listener. There is no progress without the work. So today we put in the work. Text the phrase CHANGE, C-H-A-N-G-E, to 504-676-5393. That's my personal number, and I'm going to be waiting to text you back. Again, the number is 504-676-5393. I'll respond with a link to the website where you can get more information on today's topic and about what you can do to move the movement. All right. So this is one of my favorite parts of the show. This is our segment called I See You, Sis, an opportunity to shine a light on women doing amazing work in our community, breaking barriers, taking names, and fighting for justice. Today, I like to highlight the one and only Rashida Govan, Executive Director of the New Orleans Youth Alliance. Check them out at www.neworleansyouthalliance.org. There you can learn more about how to donate, become a mentor, become a mentee, or volunteer. So I want you to hear all about Dr. Govan to be exact. She's an educator, activist, and writer who has worked for more than 20 years in education and youth development. Rashida is a graduate of the University of New Orleans, where she earned her PhD in educational administration. She completed a postdoctoral position as project director at the International Study on Youth Community Organizing. Her other research interests include African-American girls, adolescent development, college readiness, access, and success. Rashida is deeply engaged in the New Orleans community and is credited with facilitating a number of community education programs, including parent leadership training with the Fatherhood Consortium and the Pride Parent Leadership Academy, the Trayvon Martin Teach-In and the Asada Shakur Teach-In. She has published numerous reports and publications on family engagement, youth leadership, youth organizing, educational equity, public policy, and other related topics. Govan is the founder and ED of Project Butterfly New Orleans, an evidence-based African-centered girls' rites of passage program that has served over 200 high school girls since its inception in 2009. Rashida also has spoken nationally on hip hop culture and has spoken widely on issues concerning girls and women and a wide range of social and healing justice issues. My friend and sister is also a proud alumna of Morgan State University. Noya, if you don't know, is an organization grounded in racial equity and youth leadership. New Orleans Youth Alliance fosters youth-centered policies and cultivates a system of high-quality, well-resourced youth development organizations. Their values are rooted in and driven by the lived experiences of young people and their parents, guided by the principles of youth leadership, equity and solidarity, critical social analysis, and wellness. So this week we shout out Dr. Rashida Govan. Please learn more about the amazing work that she's doing with Noya, again at www.neworleansyouthalliance.org, on Instagram at New Orleans Youth Alliance, and also on Facebook at New Orleans Youth Alliance. You can also learn about the work of Project Butterfly on Instagram at Project Butterfly NOLA and on Facebook at Project Butterfly New Orleans.
So let's wrap up today's show. First of all, I just want to say thank you again to Jashant for sharing the amazing work that he's doing at the Amber Group. Um, and I know you all are equally as impressed by the way in which Jamaica has come together to use technology um, and to use all the assets that they have here in the country to serve this country and keep them safe. Um, I just really was taken aback by the mission of the Amber Group, which is to be an organization, a company that uses technology to serve humanity. So I'll be continuing to talk about what's happening here in Jamaica as I'm here for the next few weeks. I'm also going to keep you updated on developments. You know, I'm trying to see if there are ways to introduce some of the ideas um, and best practices here in Jamaica uh, to folks back home. So please stay abreast, watch me, follow me at I am Takima um, on Instagram for that journey. And again, if you're interested in learning more about uh, the app, check it out at Jam COVID 19. You can find that um, on the Apple and uh, Google platforms. All right. So other than that, just want to remind you guys of a few things. Wear a mask. Mask up, y'all. This is not a game. So take care of yourselves and take care of the people you love and wear a mask. Also, please find some time just to love on yourself. This is a pretty difficult time we're living in. I know I ebb and flow um, throughout the week, you know, from highs and lows, just trying to absorb all that's happening in the world. So really encourage you to find some time to love on yourself. Um, and remember, love, radical self-love is also an act of resistance. All right, y'all. So stay strong. I look forward to talking with you again next weekend when I sit down with the amazing Jessica Norwood, who wears many hats, is going to be talking with us and kicking off our series about the future of Black businesses. Y'all take care. Bye-bye. I am Takima. Hey, you. Are you following me yet? How else will you be the first to know what's next? You can find all of my podcast episodes on my website, www.convergeforchange.com under the podcast tab. Follow me on social media on Facebook at Converge for F-O-R change on Instagram at I am Takima and at Converge for change. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast library like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also catch the show live on WBOK1230.com, or if you're in New Orleans, just adjust your radio to WBOK1230 AM every Saturday from 12 to 1 p.m.